We are starting a brand new series in the, uh, the, book, of, the book of Proverbs. Um, and if you're new to church, you may not know much about the book of Proverbs. Largely, it's, it's a book that really is unlike any other book in Scripture. It's got fewer theological statements in it. It has less to do with an understanding of who God is and more to do with, with uh, an understanding of how to live a life that's worth living uh, for God specifically. And the author of the book of Proverbs gives us nice little just like nuggets of advice that you can dwell on, you can implement in your life, and as a result of that implementation, your life will be better than if you lived otherwise, right? It's not saying you're going to get rich if you do things this way. It's not saying you're going to be healed if you do things in a specific way, but largely saying if, if you live your life according to some of these statements, then your life is going to be a better lived life. And so most of you probably know that, that a proverb isn't necessarily unique to scripture. Actually, the definition, this is Webster's definition of a proverb, is Proverbs is a short, pithy saying in general use stating a general truth or a piece of advice, right? That's all, that's all a proverb is. So they're not necessarily unique to, uh, to scripture, but the ones that are found in scripture are God-breathed. As we believe here at FBH, 2 Timothy 3.16 talks about the fact that all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correction. And so because of that, this book of Proverbs, we would agree that, that this is God-breathed. So these are strong statements that we should be able to implement into our life that will largely help live a life that's worth worth living. So before we get to the text today, and just so you know, the text for today is going to be Proverbs 1, verses 1 to 7. So if you have your Bibles or phones or whatever, you can flip open to, to Proverbs chapter 1. Uh, I just want you to think for a moment, what, what would your life proverb be? And it doesn't even have to be biblical, right? Because Proverbs, man, they're, they're all over the place. So if you had to just like pick a proverb maybe, what, what, would, it, what would it be for you, because there's a lot of them, but let's think about the ones that aren't in Scripture first. I know a proverb for me that my parents used, uh, and they would hit on on a regular basis, was simply, "We don't do it because it's easy; we do it because it's right." Right? It's a proverb largely I still I still live by today. And man, they said it all of the time. And I'd be like, "I don't want to do that," and they'd be like, "No, we don't do it because it's easy; we do it because it's right." And I'd be like, "We're pulling weeds. What does that have to do with being right or not? Right? You just want a nice-looking yard. No, we don't do it because it's easy; we do it because it's right." And I, and, and like I said, we still do that today. My dad, he would say one as my friends were getting out of the car as uh, we were dropping them off after going somewhere with us. He would always say, "Hey, good boys are always welcome." That was like his his go-to. And like looking back as a dad, who like. We have friends come over and drop kids off. I'm just like, that was actually a veiled threat on my dad's part, right? He's like, hey, you better be good or else you're no longer welcome here, right? And so, so, uh, so my dad used, used that one a little bit. But with that first one, we don't do it because it's easy. We do it because it's right. It's like we had a small grad party for our oldest son yesterday. He moved from eighth grade up to, uh, to uh, being a freshman. A lot of family, a couple friends. And, and I go into the kitchen. I'm, you know, starting to clean up and that sort of thing. And like... I look in the kitchen, and there is my mom, my stepdad, and my mother-in-law just going to town on dishes, right? And I'm just like, I'm going to slowly back away and hope they didn't see me. Um, but they were, they were in there. Why? Because they just simply wanted to serve. They know that, hey, this isn't going to be easy, but this is the right thing to do in this instance, right? And they're like, we know you have five kids. Keeping your, your sink empty and free of dishes is hard enough. Let us help you out for these 40 people that have made a mess, uh, a mess in your house. 
Or, or yesterday, we actually had a guy come down to the church. You, you may have noticed that the, uh, the ryegrass that's planted right out here in front of the church finally got mowed. It was getting pretty long. Um, and on farmers, they, they get really irritated by weeds and that sort of thing. So I had a guy, he texted me, and he was like, hey, has anybody mowed that grass yet? I was like, no, I'll go nuts. He's like, okay, great. I'll be there on, I'll be there on Saturday. So <laughs> he shows up. He mows the whole thing. He, like, he, did a, he did a great job. And then I saw him later on, and like his eyelids were like super swollen. His face was swollen. He had like hives on his body. He's like, bro, what happened? <laughs> He's like, this is what happens when you surf, man. He had like a severe allergic reaction to cutting the right. He's fine now. I checked in on him last night. He's fine and everything like that. But he was like, don't do it because it's easy. You do it because it's right. You know what I mean? He didn't say it. But I thought to myself, oh, my parents would be proud of him, would be proud of him right now. Um, but, I mean, that, that alone is evidence of that proverb being true, right? You don't do it because it's easy. You do it because it's right. And it definitely wasn't easy on him. But, man, uh, what a servant in doing something like that. So here's a couple other examples, maybe ones that you could choose for your life. First one, if you want something done right, do it yourself, right? That's one that we, we hear oftentimes, and that's a lot of people who just want to, like, retain control and know you can't do it because you're not going to do it as good as I'm going to be able to do it. So if you're going to do, do it, you have to do it. Do it yourself, individual responsibility, high-quality work, or Maybe this one, good things come to those who wait, right? Like that's a proverb, not one that I would probably uh, stick to. Um, or maybe this one, one man's trash is another man's treasure, right? Some of, you, some of you love this one. Some of you people who are like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go to the thrift store. And you like bring home a bunch of stuff that somebody was like, this is not worth keeping in my garage anymore. I'm going to go give that away. And then you're married to the person who believes that cleanliness is next to godliness, right? Like those two, you always get married to that, uh, that person. So maybe, maybe that's you. And by the way, that's not a Bible verse. So if your mom or your dad ever tells you, hey, cleanliness is next to godliness, you just look them in the eye and you say, that's not biblical, okay? You have my, my permission <laughs> uh, to, to do that. Or maybe this one, fortune favors the bold, right? Fortune favors the bold. Or maybe if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? I've heard that one before numerous times. Gotten my, yeah, someone's like, yes, please, please don't, please don't fix it. Um, and so maybe if you don't have one on the top of your head, pick, pick one of these. But to the person that you came with or the person that you're near, just share which of these maybe or your own would you say, I, I live my life largely by that proverb. Go ahead. I'll give you 10, 10 seconds or so to discuss that. Couple, couple good ones I heard floating around there. But what if what if we chose one from the Bible? And I'm gonna uh, we're gonna take a look at a couple here here from Scripture. Uh, Proverbs 15:22 is a is a good one. It says, "Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, uh, they succeed." Right? It's a good one. Right? You don't have enough counsel. You're trying to make a decision on your own. Okay. Now nah, you should probably probably get a little bit a little bit more counsel, a little bit a little bit more inside. That one tells us you know, get good advice from from a lot of people before moving forward with your plans. Or what about Proverbs Proverbs sixteen nine? This one's really reassuring. Um, it says it says the heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Right. So like you can make all the plans, and this is good. But I also understand that regardless of the plans that I make, that God is the one who's going to move that foot one foot in front in front of the other, right? Maybe Proverbs 16, maybe a little bit confusing for some of us. 
where it says the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. You hear that and you're like, wait, what? That is a confusing statement, especially in the context that we have now, right? Lots were largely kind of like, kind of like dice and people would cast lots. It was almost like, like gambling. And so they would cast these lots to make decisions. And so according to this verse, like, hey man, maybe we should just cast lots because every decision is of God. And so we'll just roll the dice and call it good at the end of the day. Should we have kids? I don't know. Let's roll dice, right? Like that's largely kind of what, what this one is saying. So should Christians always like make decisions based on gambling? Probably not. Okay. Proverbs are true most of the time, but not true all of the time, right? There is an underlying truth there that we need to understand, but that doesn't necessarily mean that every single thing that it says is true in every single instance, right? Like the proverb, many hands make light work. Most of you have probably heard that before. Most of you would probably agree with the fact that many hands make light work. Man, we've had church work days before here where we had like so many guys show up that we were like, we ran out of projects in like 30 minutes. It was like, that room needs to be clean. This room needs, come on, let's keep moving, right? Many hands make light work, which is generally true, except if all of those hands are babies' hands, right? If those are babies' hands, that's not light work. Actually, those babies are probably going to wreck the work that you have worked really, really hard trying to do, especially like, I don't know, cleaning your house or picking up toys or anything like that. It's like those hands are actually detrimental to the work that you already, already did. So the Proverbs are, are generally, generally true, but not necessarily always true. There's a, there's, they're not universally true, but there is a general truth it's trying to communicate to us, right? And if we don't, they can really, really confuse us like proverbs 26 9 like a thorn bush in a drunkard's hand is a proverb in the mouth of a fool okay so proverbs really is fascinating and proverbs is largely a general list of rules and guidelines guidelines that should help make us help us make wise decisions and help us shape our habits which will ultimately live lead to us living a life that's not only worth living but help us live a life that is honoring to god as well that's the intention of the book of Proverbs. And so the first seven verses of the book of Proverbs in verse one, it's called the preamble, right? Think back to seventh grade where you learned about the constitution and different things like that. Like preamble, obviously not a word that we use very often, but it's like an introductory remark or opening statement, essentially. Like this is going to place us where it is that we are supposed to be in scripture in order to understand what it is that this is saying. So the book of Proverbs introduces itself and explains what a proverb is largely in the first seven verses. This is what it says. It says, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David. So it's giving us the author there, right? Like Solomon's the one who's writing these. King of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction and prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning and let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. These are largely the seven verses that are going to shape the next 31 chapters of the book of Proverbs. A lot of people really like Proverbs simply because of the fact that it has 31 chapters and it's quick, short, little pithy sayings like we said before, right? And they really, really like it because you can hit one proverb a day, every single day of the month and you'll get through the entire, the entire book of Proverbs, right? So the word proverb, it comes from that Hebrew word that largely means, like I said, kind of a short, 
pithy saying that's easy to remember, but actually the exact word in Hebrew can also mean to rule or to govern. Okay, so it's a little bit interesting kind of the play on words that they have there. So you get the idea that Proverbs are short, pithy statements we use to rule or govern our lives. That's largely the context in which that word is used. So with that in mind, I'd like to maybe propose a more biblical definition of what a proverb is, right? Proverbs are brief, poetic sayings meant to teach us wisdom. Brief, poetic sayings used to teach us wisdom. My guess is you've probably had an experience with somebody in your life that just said like the right thing at the right time in a way that you're like, how did you know what to say at that time? There's like a depth and a heaviness to it almost. That you're like, man, you have spent time with the Lord. You have spent time in his word. You have, you, there is some depth to you because the, the understanding part was there. The, the poetic side of things was there. It was short. It was pithy. It, always, it was all these things. But one of the things we need to make sure that we understand is just because it's short and pithy and poetic does not necessarily mean that it adds to the wisdom that we have. Like oftentimes we think if someone said something really, really eloquently, then all of a sudden they're like, oh man, that guy was really, really smart, or he has so much depth and insight. Right? You see this a lot in Hollywood, actually. Um, and so I, I did a little bit of research. There was a clip that went viral a while back with uh, Keanu Reeves and Stephen Colbert, right? Two of the most brilliant minds in Hollywood. Okay, but Keanu Reeves and, and Stephen Colbert. And Stephen Colbert is interviewing Keanu and, um, I don't even, that name alone, Keanu. Um, anyway, so he's interviewing him. He says, Keanu Reeves, what do you think happens when we die? And so Keanu, he like sits back, takes a nice deep breath, exhales, thinks about like really just like, like relishes this moment. And he says, I know that our loved ones will miss us. And like Stephen Colbert freaks out, like he shakes his hand. He's like, oh my gosh, you are sick, Keanu, the depth, the insight that you have. And I'm sitting here thinking like, duh, like that's not smart. Like, he said it in such a way that made us think that he was actually saying something, but he actually said absolutely nothing. Like, this is a universal, like, we know this to be true. Like, when someone is dying, you don't say to them, hey, your loved ones are really going to miss you, right? Like, that shit, like, duh, that is obviously a thing. And so a proverb, yes, it needs to be short, and oftentimes it's poetic, but it has to have meaning behind it. There's depth and wisdom to these to these proverbs, right? It, it, it kind of, uh, the, the Hebrew word for wisdom largely uh, at its most basic level means the skill of living. So when we're talking about the idea of wisdom, it's, it's skills for living, but it's not just any kind of living that we're supposed to be able to, to accomplish. It's not like living for the weekend or living for my bank account or living for my family. It's, it's living for God is what this wisdom is largely going to pass down to us. So like I said, just because you're implementing these things, it doesn't mean that you're going to be rich all of a sudden. It definitely doesn't mean that you're going to get, get cured of whatever disease you have or anything like that. But it is going to make your life more aligned with the God, the creator of the universe, and living in such a way that he designed the universe to be able to work. He designed it that way for us to live. Like li Wisdom is, is largely living a, a life that honors God every day in every single part of our lives. That's what wisdom is. Wisdom is knowing how to, have a, how to have a good marriage in a way that honors God and is good for, for, for you and your spouse or knowing how to be a good parent. Wisdom is using your money thoughtfully and using your money fairly, whether you're, you're rich or, 
or you're poor. Right? Wisdom is, is a politician or a government official who governs justly and won't let just people with money and power make the rules. Right? Wisdom is, is knowing the right thing to say and when to say it and how to say it. Right? Wisdom is a, is a business owner who creates a high-quality product and treats their employees and customers well. And wisdom helps us navigate the big, important, high-stakes decisions should we have a child right now? Do we, do we have grandma and grandpa move in with us because it's more difficult to care for them now as they're on their own? Those big important, what college is it that we're going to go to? What jobs? Like those important decisions, we should seek wisdom. But also, wisdom should be used in the minutia of your life as well. Those small, tiny decisions that we just need to implement on a regular basis. I have a friend, he's, uh, his name is Matt Curtis, and Matt is a, a communicator by nature. He started as a designer, and now he's a, a big, calm guy, and the best way to communicate things and different things like that. Um, loves the Lord a ton, Christian. And Matt grew up baptized by fire in a, uh, a household that was all about wisdom literature, right? His dad was actually a professor at a, uh, a private Christian college, and his class was, classes were all about just wisdom literature. So he got Proverbs just like thrown at him on a regular basis. And so when he grew up, he, he recognized what was happening in our world. About 13 years ago or so, he wrote a book, and the book is called Hashtag Wisdom. And in that book, he was like, he was like look, technology is coming screamingly fast, right? Everything is just like, like doing our best to compete for our time, social media, all of these different things. And he said, you know what, the best option isn't necessarily just say, I'm not going to do that ever. I'm never going to be on social media. I'm never going to allow my child to be on social media. Like this is not a healthy thing. He said, I don't know if that's the best option. Actually, what I think we should do is look at what wisdom looks like as we are using the social media side of things. And so he wrote this whole book where he utilizes Proverbs to be able to just say, hey, look, when, when you're deciding how often you log on to social media, when you're deciding what it is that you post to social media, when you're deciding how you interact with other people on those websites, here's maybe some wisdom you should be able to use when you do so. And so it's not just like the big important decisions that Proverbs is gonna help us with. It should largely help us with those tiny decisions, those little things about should I press enter on this post? or not, right? That's largely what Proverbs should help us with, should be with absolutely everything. And so verse 1 in Proverbs 1, it attributes these, these, like the first set of Proverbs to King Solomon, son of David. If you've been around church for a while, you probably are familiar at least with the names. But David is, is the most famous king of Israel, and he made his son Solomon king at an early age. And so when, when he became king, Solomon offered a great sacrifice to the Lord, a massive sacrifice to the Lord. Actually, 1 Kings 3-4 says he offered a thousand burnt offerings, okay? And this pleased the Lord, right? And so because of the fact that it pleased the Lord, God appears to Solomon in a dream. And God's like, hey, what, what can I give you? And Solomon, he asks for, asks for wisdom. He asks God to give him wisdom to rule over the people of Israel, which is a more mature answer than I would have given. I would have been like, give me all the money. God, you're going to do one thing for me. I want you to give me all the money. And Solomon's like, no, give me all the wisdom 
instead so I can better rule over the people that I am in charge of. And so God is so impressed by this, he's so pleased by this, that he gives him wisdom and he gives him discernment, and on top of that, he also gets wealth and honor. That's 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 1 to 15, if you're interested in the story. But right after this, right after Solomon asks for wisdom, the Bible tells a story demonstrating Solomon's wisdom. It's actually a really popular story in popular culture as well. It's not just in, in, in uh, scripture, but, but two women, they're, uh, they're having a fight, okay, and they appear before Solomon, and they're fighting over a baby, right, and, and one woman had rolled over on top of her baby and killed that baby in the middle, in the middle of the night, accidentally killed it, and so because of that, she's so heartbroken that she decides she's going to steal another woman's baby, so she has this baby, and it's like, hey, I'm going to make this baby my own, but of course, this woman who says, hey, she stole my baby. The lady's like, no, I didn't. Denying the accusation, right? Um, and so how's Solomon going to know which, which woman was right? They don't have DNA tests. They don't have ring cameras to see if she walked into her house at some point or anything like that. Like, how is he going to do so? And so he's like, you know what? Hey, guard, bring me a sword, which is a terrifying thing when you're dealing with a baby and these two ladies. And he's like, you know what? I have the answer. Just bring me a sword. And so he's, the, the soldier brings him a sword and he's like, you know what? This is what we're going to do. We're going to cut this baby in half and that way each of you can have half of the baby. And then, the, of course, the mom who was actually the mom was like, no, 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 no. She can just have the baby. I don't want, please don't hurt the baby. She can have the baby. And the one who wasn't the mother was like, yeah, cut the baby in half. I'm okay with half a baby at this point. Right, And so because of that, like Solomon, Solomon, he got it figured out. The real mom would obviously never say such a thing. That's in 1 Kings 3, 16 to 28, if you're up for some light reading about babies being almost cut in half. Um, but God had given Solomon wisdom, right? And now through the book of Proverbs, you and I have the opportunity to receive wisdom for our lives as well. We get to learn the skill of living for God in our everyday lives. And to be fair, every single one of us needs wisdom. We all need to know how it is that we're supposed to live our life by the way that God designed it. How, what are the best decisions that we should make? And so in verses 2 through 6, Proverbs gives us its, its purpose statement largely. Right? It tells us why Solomon and the other authors that we'll encounter later on in the book compiled this book of kind of wisdom sayings. If you look back at verse 2, it says... Like it's, why, why, why Proverbs? It says, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction and prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and, uh, just and fair, for uh, giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and instruction to the young. Like we read and study Proverbs in order to gain wisdom, something largely I feel like we have lost as a society. Verses 2 to 4, they just kind of expand our understanding of what wisdom is by using similar words to kind of broaden its definition and, and help broaden its depth as well. So we, we need Proverbs. We need Proverbs largely because we need behavior modification. We need instruction. We need to understand how it is that we should live based on how it is that God created the entire, the entire universe, right? And so we need that, and we need instruction, when we think of instruction, oftentimes we think of, of like going to class and, and learning about Pythagoras or mitochondria or World War II or whatever it may be. But this actually has a very serious tone to it in verse 2 when it talks about, when it talks about instruction. 
It actually is meaning more like discipline or correction or, or punishment. And this, is the type of, uh, this type of punishment can largely include like verbal rebu- rebukes, Proverbs 12.1, if you're interested in one of them, like verbal rebukes or, or physical punishment even, Proverbs 13.24, like my boss gave me firm instruction on how I was wrong. Right? That's a good example of how instruction would be used in a kind of a, a more serious tone. Or my dad instructed me with a swift, swift, swift punishment. Right? So like, even though instruction like this, it's not fun, it's not exciting, and sometimes like, we need that correction. And the book of Proverbs offers us that correction. It also offers us understanding when we simply don't get it, when we simply don't understand. And so the word used in verse 2, it describes a depth, a depth of knowledge beyond mere awareness, right? And so there's a depth to that understanding. There's a depth to that knowledge. Like, here's a good example, right? I understand music. And by understand music, I understand that if someone was up here with a guitar, when Jesse was up here with a guitar and he was playing different notes, where he places his finger and how he strums that guitar, music and sounds then come out. That's my depth of understanding of music. Now, that being said, I also understand when someone's not good at music, right? Like, I sit on my couch and watch American Idol. I'm like, oh, they're pitchy, right? They're not singing well tonight. And in the back of my head, I'm like, also, I understand that I would never do what they are doing because I know how terrible of a singer I am, which is why I'm never going to come on stage because I'm painfully self-aware of that reality. That's my extent of understanding music. Now, if you were to have the same conversation with Brian, Brian Asbury, okay, our, our worship pastor here, where, where you would say, hey, I, or I would say rather, man, that person, they're just not a good singer. And he would say, yeah, they're not a good singer, but I also understand how to help move them forward because I understand why it is they're not a good singer. Where I could go sit on the piano and hit different notes and be like, look, I'm doing music. Like, he, on the other hand, could go sit on there and have, like, magical little fairy fingers over the keys and make everything sound absolutely beautiful. There is a depth of knowledge to that music that I simply don't have. And that's what we're talking about here when we're talking about the, the, the book of Proverbs. It gives us a deep understanding of how life works, which is good because we don't want to be shallow people right? We don't. We want that depth. We want to have depth that comes to us only from spending time with the Spirit and being in the Word of God. And that's largely what the book of Proverbs is going to do for us. So even as you look at word, or verse 4, you see that word, that word knowledge there. Could we just be okay with understanding that, that knowledge and wisdom are not the same thing? They are absolutely not the same thing. You can, it, it can include that intelligence, but you don't have to have a high IQ to be wise. I think we've, we've confused those two a little bit, right? Like you can be great at Jeopardy and still be a terrible person. Can we just be, agree with that? Actually, I would venture to say most people who are great at Jeopardy are terrible people. You guys are all arrogant. I've watched it with you before. I know. Oh, you didn't get that? Mm. Anyway, <laughs> having a high IQ means means that you're great at doing math, right? It means you're great at the long division stuff and thinking logically and everything like that. But that doesn't mean you know how to live a life God's way. Just because you're smart does not mean that that you are living for God. Wisdom is more like having a high emotional intelligence rather than a high IQ. Emotional intelligence is actually, they use that word EQ, emotional quotient, as some would say. And so you might not have like the largest intellect in the room, but if you recognize and understand your own emotions, you recognize and understand other people's emotions, you don't let your own emotions control you, 
right? You can, you can empathize with people in a real way than you have in high EQ. EQ, not IQ, is more like wisdom. And to be clear, wisdom absolutely requires a knowledge of situations, and it absolutely requires a knowledge of, of people, but you don't have to be a genius to be wise, right? Like, like even in church circles, you can have the most, the most amount of, of Bible trivia knowledge in the world, but if you do not know how to put that trivia knowledge into practice in our everyday lives, then we're largely just missing the point. We're memorizing facts at that point rather than internalizing the things that God would have for us. If we know a lot about that Bible trivia but aren't worshiping God and developing a relationship with him or growing as disciples, right? Like we're, we're not loving our neighbor, we're not caring for the least of these, then we are missing the point. Paul even warns us about this in 1 Corinthians 8.1. It says, knowledge puffs up while love builds up. So two very different things. Everything we learn about God should go right into practice. That's wisdom versus knowledge. And I think this is an issue, like I said, the church as a whole, and I would actually not even pigeonhole the church. Uh, I would say that the world as a whole has an issue here, that we have put so much value on, on intellect that we have completely forgotten oftentimes about wisdom. And I think part of it is, is because, man, we have the entire world in our pocket. Every single shred of information that has ever been found out ever in the history of man is sitting in your pocket or your purse or your phone if you've tuned out already, or your hand if you've tuned out already. Right? Like, like, like we, we just value information. It's the information age, right? That, that's the age in which we live. And so largely because of that, I think we said, you know what? I've got all of the information I need in my pocket. I'll just leave the wisdom off to the side. And eventually, yeah, I'll use it. Eventually, yeah, I'll get to it. But, but largely, I just, it's okay for it to take a backseat in our world. And look where that has gotten us. Right? We should strive for knowledge, but we should strive for the knowledge necessary to act wisely, not knowledge simply for the sake of knowledge. And wisdom doesn't just come from knowledge. It doesn't just come from understanding. It also comes from righteousness, as it talks about in verse 6. It, talk, it comes from justice. It comes from fairness. It comes from all of these different places. And so when you understand how it is that you're supposed to live life God's way, when you have the knowledge to do it, and when you have friends and family who are willing to correct you, because that's a large part of, of wisdom, the outcome is going to be right, the outcome is going to be just, and the outcome is going to be fair. It's the importance of having a dialogue. It's the importance of having a small group of people who believe the same things as you do. You say, hey, I have this issue going on in my life. What do you think? What does the Bible say about this? Well, let me ask you this question. Have you thought through this, this lens before? And when you get all of those things, wisdom bubbles to the top. There's a social aspect to it, right? Wisdom helps me treat my neighbor, my coworker, my family members with respect and dignity, regardless of how I feel about their personal lifestyle, regardless of how I feel about the decisions that they are making, that I'm going to be wise in the way that I treat other people. I, don't, I care less about being right, and I care more about using wisdom to be able to have a relationship with those people. And so wisdom helps me helps me save my money thoughtfully, right? And at the same time, helps me give generously. That's what, those are the things that like wisdom helps me look beyond myself to the needs of other people. It helps us get past like the surface level knowledge to real depth and helps us love our neighbors well. 
And so largely, as we, as we walk through this series, you need to understand that Proverbs is for everyone. Right? I know some of you are sitting here like, I don't need Proverbs. I write my own Proverbs. Like, that's how smart I am. Right? Proverbs is for everyone. It even says it, right? It casts a wide net. It says, if you're simple, so neither foolish nor wise. If you're, if you're just simple, then Proverbs is for, for you. If you're young, right? Actually, in the first nine chapters, it's written like a father giving advice to his son. Over and over and over again, he says, my son. So if you're a teenager or young adult, guy or girl, Proverbs is for you. If you are wise, already. If you are already discerning, you have your own genre of wisdom. Like I said, Proverbs is for you. Proverbs is for everyone. It doesn't matter how many times that you've read it. Okay, there's this theological concept called illumination. And what happens is, is as you're reading through Scripture, maybe you've read the same proverb a thousand different times. Maybe it's the proverb I'm going to get to in just a second in Proverbs 1-7. And you're just like, you know what? Man, I've read that so many different times, but, but I have never actually thought about it that way before. It's a theological concept of illumination, which means you can be as wise as you want. There is still more depth to be uncovered in the book of Proverbs. And so at the end of this preamble, we find a key verse, the key verse to the entire book of Proverbs. And this verse is, is 1-7. It's going to come up over and over and over again. It's the idea of the fear of the Lord. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. There's a massive contrast there that I don't think often we, we understand or we see. Is that there's, there's two options here. You can either fear the Lord and get knowledge, or you can be a fool. That's what this says. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Those are our two options. Fear the Lord or be foolish. I would say if you are going to live your life according to one proverb, forget those other ones that we talked about earlier, this is the proverb to hang your hat on. This is the proverb that you should walk through life with. I hope this would be it, because wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. So I'll finish up with this question because I think we have a poor understanding of what it means to fear the Lord. Like, what does it mean to have a fear of the Lord? So, so I pose that question to you. What does, what does fear of the Lord mean? Here's what a couple people smarter than me say, and this is my favorite one leading off. It's by Dr. Bruce Waldke. He says, he says fear of the Lord is that you really believe his promises are secure and his threats are real. He said it again. You really believe his promises are secure and his threats are real. You believe in God, right? Psalm 19 talks about that. You take his words in the scripture seriously. You understand that God designed the world in a very, very certain way and that if you live that way, it will go well for you. But if you disobey, there will be consequences. Sound like parenting? If you disobey, there's going to be consequences. Another person defines fear of the Lord as a reverent obedience. Right? And it's not just fear and reverence of any God, right? It's a fear of, of our God, the God, the most holy, set-apart God, the creator of the universe. And a lot of Bibles, specifically the Old Testament, you'll probably recognize the word Lord is capitalized in all caps. It actually does that in verse 7 here. L-O-R-D, Lord, is in uppercase letters. That's signaling that this is God's special covenant name. This comes from the translation of Yahweh. Y-H-W-H is how it would have been actually, actually been. That's the name he gave his people in Israel to identify him. Say, I am holy and I am set apart. You are going to be reverent and obedient to me. 
So this fear and reverence, it's based on, though, a relationship. And so when we think of fear of the Lord, oftentimes we're like, am I just supposed to be scared of him? Well, yes and, and no. It's like, it's like the fear a young boy has of his loving dad. Hang with me on that. Like he knows, a, a young boy would know if he does something wrong, his father should at least correct him for that poor behavior. Right? That, that that dad at some point is going to say, hey, you, like, the dad is not going to hesitate to lay down, like, lay down the law on him. Say, hey, look, these are the rules. You knew the rules. And because of that, there's repercussions for your actions. These are the repercussions. I'll leave that wisdom up to you. But the kid would also recognize that, you know what? There are repercussions for my actions. I, I fear my dad in a healthy way because of the fact that I know that he is the supreme law of our house. But also, man, I know that my dad would go and take a bullet for me if, if need be. That he would be willing to lay down his life for his son. And I don't know which strikes more fear into a young boy's heart, the correction or the potential sacrifice that a dad would be willing to make. And so as we think about the, the God of the, the whole Bible, we remember that you know, he too is going to correct us when we need it. But God has also already laid down a life, the life of his son Jesus for us. And that should strike fear. That should strike reverent awe into our hearts. Wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. Right? And this is, of course, true for us as people who believe that God is perfectly loving and perfectly just. Right? Our God is a God in the Old Testament. If you look at the Old, read the Old Testament, man, there are places where God is just like, I, I'm going to obliterate an entire people group. Like, gone. You're done. Why? Because they weren't doing the things that God asked them to do. They were breaking the covenant. They were worshiping other gods. Whatever it is, fill in the blank, that their actions did not meet up to God's standard. And so God was like, I'm going to kill you now. And here's the cool thing. Now, it's a weird way to transition out of I'm going to kill you now to here's the cool thing. But here's the interesting thing. Is that the reason God gets to do that, the reason God gets to say that is because God is perfectly, completely, perfectly just. That we recognize in Scripture, Romans actually tells us that the wages of sin is death. And so because of the fact that those people have sinned in a very real way, the consequence that is, of that is death. Those are real repercussions that God gets to put out. Why? Because he created everything in the first place. It's like when my kids create a board game, right? And they're like, Dad, we made a board game. I'm like, cool. What's the board game? And we're playing the board game. And they're like, no, that's against the rules. I'm like, what do you mean it's against the rules? They're like, yeah, well, it's against the rules, but but it's because I made the game. And for them, it's usually because they started losing and I exploited a loophole or whatever it may have been. But they're like, no, you can't do that, Dad. Why? Why well, made the game? God is in charge. God is the one who has created everything. And so for him, everything needs to be perfectly just. Like I said, the wages of sin is death. There are repercussions for our actions. There's repercussions for your sin. And before Jesus came along, the repercussion of that was like animal sacrifice and hell. Those were the repercussions of our actions. That God is going to follow through on the promises that he has made in Scripture. But God, not just being perfectly just, is also perfectly loving. So he saw that, you know what, yes, the wages of sin is death. There has to be atonement for those sins in a very real way. You actually cannot do it on your own because there's no such thing as a perfect sacrifice. So because of that, I love you enough to now send my son on your behalf as a perfect sacrifice. 
for you to be able to get back to me. Why? Because he is perfectly loving. Because he saw the fact that, that, that sin had to be punished in order for him to remain just, he lovingly sent his son to be the atonement for that sin once and for all. He sent Jesus to die on a cross for our sin, his only son. That is a God that we should both fear and revere in a very, very real way. And once we get to that point, that is the beginning of understanding. We largely don't fear the Lord anymore. We largely don't revere the Lord anymore. And I think that has been a shift that's made, not just in America, not just like FBH or, or anything like that. I think globally, the reverence of the Lord, like people just simply don't, don't fear him nearly as much as he should, as we should. And so that's a God that I both revere and, and fear. And so we're going we're gonna to migrate into transition, or transition into communion, rather. Um, and it's a weird way to transition into communion while we're just talking about, like, the fear of the Lord, right? Like, you better fear him, now thank him, right? Um, but that being said, just as we do so, if you want to raise your hand, if you didn't get communion elements, we got some members of our diaconate who will, who will take care of you, raise them, raise them nice and high. But communion is the remembrance of our fear of the Lord, a Lord who is willing to do anything largely for us to be able to be with God forever. And so Jesus, he sits down with his disciples. And he's like, hey, I'm going to break some bread. I'm going to pour some juice. And as often as you do this, remember me and remember the sacrifice that I made, the sacrifice that God made by sending his son in a very, very real way. And so we believe in an open table here at FBH, meaning you don't have to be a member of our church in order to receive communion with us, but we do ask that you're a member of the body of Christ, meaning you've made a profession of faith where you believe in your heart, you confess with your lips that Jesus Christ is, is Lord. And if you haven't done that before, I'd invite you to do so with me in, in just a minute. But before I do, a few instructions. I want to uh, invite the band to come up. And we're going to have the... Uh, the band lead us in a song. And as we do so, I just, I want you to do two things. The first thing I want you to do is get right with God. If you got sin that you need to confess, if you need to like just be like, hey God, I am sorry for what I have done. I'm sorry for whatever it may be. Fill in the blank. You know you. Get to that point first. But then after that, I just ask the spirit in a very real way. Like, where am I not actively fearing you? Where in my life am I taking for granted your justice and your love? Where in my life am I just like, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to love God here on Sunday, but man, Tuesday or Wednesday or when I'm by myself or when I'm with a specific group of people or whatever, fear of the Lord goes straight out the window. I don't know where it is for you. And maybe you don't know where it is for you right now either. Take a second and just ask the Holy Spirit as we're in the midst of singing this song to just illuminate that for you in a very real way. So like I said, we're gonna pray in just a second. After we pray, we're gonna sing a song together and then after the song is over, we'll receive uh, communion together. So why don't, you, why don't you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we, God, thank you for your son. Thank you for your justice. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your wisdom that you've passed down for us in the book of Proverbs. God, even as we talk about the importance of wisdom, 
We also need to understand that in order for us to get to the idea of wisdom, in order for us to get that, the first step is the fear of the Lord. The first step is reverence to you and fearing you. So God, thank you for your promises. Thank you for your justice. But God, thank you. Thank you so much for your mercy and the grace that you poured out for each and every one of us who would call you Lord of their lives. And so with heads still bowed and eyes still closed, if that's you this morning and you have not yet said yes to Jesus, you've not yet made a profession of faith, if that's you, man, I would just hope that you would pray along with me. Just in the quietness of your heart, simply say, Father, A, I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a savior, that I fall short of your standard. But B, I believe you sent your son to die on a cross for me, that showed me that mercy. And C, that I would choose to follow you every single day of my life. That we would seek wisdom and that we would fear you. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.